All right, good. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody here on a Sunday. Um, don't forget, next uh, next week we're actually be in the evening, but next week I believe we're turning the clocks for those of you who are, t- are clock turners. I think everybody turns their clock except for Arizona. So anyway, you might have saw the email. I want to talk about something today that's very common to practice, but I think is one of the most misunderstood things and has confused me for decades, which is the fourth foundation of mindfulness. Uh, so I'm going to talk about the fourth foundation of mindfulness. We'll do a practice of that. Um, and so, you know, for those of you who aren't as familiar, the four foundations of mindfulness are kind of the the, the Bible, if you will, of mindfulness practice, uh, which is found in a teachings called the Satipatthana Sutta. Some of you are probably very familiar with the Satipatthana. There's been many books written on it. Biko Analyo over the last 10 years has written a couple of books on it and and when I say that it's the Theravada Insight IMS Spirit Rock Bible, I'm actually not kidding at all. That's really, everybody swears by that. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a maybe a 15-page sutta. It's 15 pages of a 5,000-page document. And it definitely gets a lot of attention. I've taught it, I've studied it, I've been trained in it, but I've always been con- confused about what the fourth foundation of mindfulness is. So let's just kind of walk through that a little bit. So the first three are pretty obvious. So the first foundation of mindfulness is the body, uh, breathing, mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of the body, the anatomical parts. For those of you that have looked at my mindfulness course, I choose to call it the somatic component of mindfulness because when we think about the body, it's not just the body and the breath. It's the body, the breath, and the sensory experience, the five senses, tasting, smelling, seeing, all of that is, is the body. Pretty, pretty obvious there. We pay attention to that. Um, and then we have Vedana, second foundation of mindfulness, the feeling tone, sometimes called hedonic tone. So that means every sense item that we experience has a pleasant, unpleasant, or neither charge to it. And, and I'm sure you've noticed that you like to get the pleasant and you want to get as much of the pleasant Vedana as you can, and you want to get rid of the unpleasant Vedana. Uh, and when it's neither, you're just confused or mostly don't care. That's pretty obvious. Third foundation of mindfulness gets a little bit, each one gets a little more subtle. Third foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of chitta. If you've looked at my podcast, I've given tons of talks on chitta. I think chitta is a very misunderstood concept. I think it's a very important concept. I think it's a central concept. The Pali translation for chitta is usually translated into English as consciousness, which isn't great. Sometimes mind, which when you're practicing mindfulness and someone says mindfulness of mind, to me that's a completely useful, useless concept. Useless. I have no idea what they're talking about. Mindfulness of mind. Uh, and then uh, Stephen Batchelor, you know I'm very fond of. Lately, I think he's taking a big creative liberty. He translates chitta as soul, which as a musician I love. I love that he has the balls to translate chitta as soul. Um, and uh, so I, so it, it's, it's something around there. It's sort of the mind attitude. If you listen to some of my talks, I really unpack it further. I don't want to get hung up on it too much. And then the fourth foundation of mindfulness, we have all these categories. So in the first foundation of mindfulness, there's five categories. Vedan has got two. Chitta has one, two, maybe. Fourth foundation, we got five categories. We've got the five aggregates, which you know I love. Five aggregates, six sense spheres, five hindrances, seven awakening factors, and four noble truths, which includes the Eightfold Path. 
That's a lot of shit. How am I supposed to be mindful of all of that stuff? Now, the other thing I think is very interesting about this fourth foundation, and this is kind of, I'm going to tell you where I currently land, and I've been leaning this way for a long time, is one of the, criti- one of the critiques that I've made about the Satipatthana, which I think is a very good critique, is A, where is the ethics? Where does the ethical, where does Sila fit inside of the Satipatthana? And where are the Brahma Viharas? Which actually still bothers me that they're not in there. Where are they? Why are they not in there? And the other reason I think that's problematic is actually the Satipatthana Sutta is not an original text. It was a text that was built over time, pulling from a lot of other suttas. So to say that the Buddha taught Sati, that the Satipatthana Sutta is actually totally an incorrect. There's no way he did that. It was, it was created much later. So people kind of cherry-pick pieces out of it. And I, and I think it's great. I don't mean like it's not original, like it's not good. I just mean it's not. Uh, it was later crafted by the Theravada tradition to sort of be like, this is our thing. So it was, it was, it was cobbled together later. Um, so where's, so the Brahma Viharas aren't in there. Ethics aren't really in there. I'm going to say that they are in there, and I'm going to tell you how that they're in there. So... If we want to go, so let's just go big. So if we want to, this is very interesting, actually. If we think about the four truths, I just, I can't even say noble truth anymore. It makes me cringe. Uh, The four truths um, as tasks, as you know, that's how I like them. Um, Actually, the, the fourth foundation of mindfulness starts to look interesting. Because if you look at the aggregates, and so if you look at the, the categories, they fit nicely into the four noble truths. You have the aggregates and the sense spheres, which is part of dukkha. And in the, in the t- turning of the wheel, the Buddha says, the five aggregates of clinging are dukkha. You have, so the practice, the first practice in the fourth foundation is a first noble truth practice to embrace the aggregates and the sense spheres. The second practice in the Satipatthana Sutta, fourth foundation, hindrances, second truth, overcome the hindrances, the reactivity. The hindrances are just another formulation. They're just another list of reactivity, tanha, samudaya. Overcome the hindrances, task number two. Task number three, develop the awakening factors. Task number four, cultivate the eightfold path. So you could, if you want to get, and this is a little complicated, I think, if you wanted to look at the fourth foundation from, if you wanted to include all the categories, it's just another way to reframe the four truths as a task. Embrace, acknowledge the aggregates, overcome the hindrances, develop the awakening factors, cultivate the path, right? That's pretty good, but that's a lot. The other way that I like to think about it and the way that I've been teaching it, and dare I say the way that the practice for me actually becomes fun, is if we kind of get into Buddhist scholarship a little bit and we look at Analyo's second book on the Satipatthana Sutta, what he did, which I think is brilliant, he said, let's look at all the Satipatthana Suttas. Let's look at the Theravada. Let's look at the, the tradition that came before that, the Saskara, something I can't say. Let's look at the Tibetan. Let's look at the Chinese. Let's look at every version of the Satipatthana and see where they are saying the same thing. Well, if you cross-reference the fourth foundation of mindfulness and all of the different Satipatthana Suttas, there's only two lists that are in all of them. And that is the hindrances and the awakening factors. 
right? They don't monkey around with this other stuff, which I think they added later. I think they added these other things later. They certainly added the Four Noble Truths later because we all know everybody loves a noble truth. Got to have something to believe in. We're selling religion here, people. We got to have some truth claim that we can sell to the people or we're going to be obsolete. The opiate for the masses, as they say, right? No, thank you, sir. So this becomes very interesting to me when I think about the hindrances and the awakening factors. Now, if I was pushed, and I don't have the time, which I, a lot of times I don't, to, if I was to teach a retreat on the fourth foundation of mindfulness or a day long, the, what does the heavy lifting, the only thing you really need are the hindrances and the awakening factors. These other things can be useful, they can be helpful, they can be interesting maybe, but they actually just confuse most of us, I think. Now also, if we really want to go with the meditation training factors, we have concentration, effort, and mindfulness. Well, the hindrances and the awakening factors plug in to the four great efforts perfectly, insanely perfectly. So when I practice meditation, I concentrate. I bring my mind into the present moment experience-ish, now-ish. And what happens is I'm concentrated a little bit. Now what my, my goal is is to prevent and overcome destructive forces in the mind. Well, that means to prevent and to overcome the hindrances. First two efforts. Being able to live a life, and now also, this is also very important, and I talked to Stephen Batcher about this too, and I think I actually illuminated this to him, is the big, the big confusion is, well, how do you prevent unwholesome mind states from arising? That shit just pops into my head when I sit down and close my eyes. How am I supposed to prevent that? Well, you prevent that by living a life of integrity. The only way to prevent unwholesome mind states from arising is to actually embody sila, which I like this because now the satipatthana becomes an entirely ethical game. Entirely. And this is, I think, where the ethical framework is crucial when we're starting to use mindfulness and we really want to use Satipatthana because Satipatthana is actually really good. You know, is that, like for me, if I sit down and meditate later, it's easy for me to meditate these days mostly because I don't think about, I don't feel bad uh, thinking about some shitty stuff that I did recently. Mostly, I don't really do anything I feel that bad about anymore. You know, I let my kids have too much sugar and Cheez-Its, and, you know, maybe I you know, argue with my wife more than I should, but I never do anything terrible. I never do anything that I feel really bad about. I can't tell you the last time I did. But when I first started meditating 25 years ago, that's all I did. Have you ever had the I'm a bad, I think I might be a bad person meditation? You know, you're like, wow. I'm like, I just, I just don't like people. I don't like myself. I, I, I hate, I'm just full of hatred. It's just like, and then I'm judging myself for that. And then I'm judging myself for judging myself. And it's like, yeah, what's that? The first five years of meditation practice right there. And you're like, I'm pretty sure I'm bad, actually. Pretty sure. A lot of evidence. You know, I think you just have to like work through that. And then so... We prevent those by living ethically, and when they get in, which they do, then we try to overcome the hindrances, you know, uh, hindrances, you know, I think of them as a craving, I actually like attachment better, attachment, aversion, lethargy, restlessness, and doubt. Those are considered to be destructive forces in the mind, and I want to overcome those when they're in my mind. The problem with the hindrances, I find, is when I'm in a hindrance, sometimes, I actually like the hindrances sometimes. 
Sometimes I'm in an experience and I'm full of aversion and I'm liking it. And I'm like, yeah, man, this shouldn't be like that. They shouldn't be like, oh my God, there's a whole bunch of shit that shouldn't be happening right now. And I get hooked into that. Then I get angry. Then I get upset. Then I get to come emotional and I'm just in this destructive, you know, psychological landmine. And my goal, my practice is to recognize that I'm doing that and then to overcome that. Now, give this a shot today. Give this a shot tomorrow. You will be busy all day, I assure you. And then the other side, so I I try to prevent and I try to overcome these destructive forces in my mind, five hindrances. Now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to develop and maintain the awakening factors. And you know what the first awakening factor is? No surprise, mindfulness. And the last awakening factor, probably no surprise either, is equanimity. And so a lot of times the journey we're trying to take on our path is we're trying to go from awareness to equanimity. And the only way you can do that actually is through, for me, it's the awakening factors are good, but if I'm going to go from awareness to equanimity, I'm going to use the Brahma Viharas more than I'm going to use the awakening factors. So the fact that they're not inserted in there actually bothers me. Because uh, the awakening factors, you have mindfulness, investigation, energy, uh, joy, contentment, concentration, and equanimity. So the middle factors tend to be more these subtle meditator states. Why there's no metta in the awakening factors or compassion or gratitude blows my mind. I don't understand why they're not there, but they're not. So, but you can, you can see that if I'm trying to go from a mindfulness and, and, and ease to equanimity, you can, you can actually, you could plug the Brahma Viharas and you could sub the Brahma Viharas out for the awakening factors. I have no problem doing that. Um, there's a lot of Buddhist scholarship reasons to why that would actually be okay also. So I want to develop and maintain these, right? And so this is it. That's, there's your whole Buddhist path, really, you know? Uh, pay attention, you know, live an ethical life, try to prevent these destructive forces in the mind from arising. If they do, overcome them, using mindfulness to develop mindfulness and to maintain these other wholesome mental states. So that's it for today. Thank you all. I'll see you next week, right? You know? <laughs> but I think this is really good because A lot of times we get a sense, we get that sense, right? What should we, what should we be doing? And I, if you look at my podcast, I've given this talk probably a few times on the awakening factors and the hindrances. And sometimes maybe I've done one or two on right effort. This is a great talk on a retreat because I think Stu might've been at Viacitos when I gave this talk. Um, you know, if you're in the context of a retreat, this give this gives you a lot of juice for the day. You're like, okay, I'm just gonna wa- I'm just gonna like really take this on as a practice, and and it's really really quite good, I think. The other thing I want to say that I should have said at the beginning, but I'll just kind of go back a little bit is the other thing that's really confusing, I think, about the fourth foundation of mindfulness, is it's called mindfulness of dharmas. Okay, well, what does that mean? Dharmas. And so I used to teach it incorrectly. Stephen Batchelor used to teach it incorrectly. I would argue that 99% of the Spirit Rock IMS teachers teach it incorrectly. And what they mean by Dharma, generally speaking, is that, well, I have my body, I have my feelings, I have my mental states, and Dharmas is just like shorthand for everything else. 
you know, this kind of mindfulness of phenomena, this choice is like everything else in the universe. You're like, oh, well, that's helpful. Everything else in the universe, you're just going to like conveniently say that? That, that, that? that doesn't do me any good. And I've struggled on retreats. I've sat long retreats. So I'm like trying to fucking be mindful of everything else in the universe and I just can't do it. But I'm not giving any framework. I'm not, I, I'm not getting a right effort teaching. I'm not understanding that it's about, about liberation. This is about liberation, this whole game. The fourth foundation of mindfulness is a liberation practice all day long. Recognize, overcome, recognize, overcome, recognize, maintain. And, and, and interestingly enough, if you p- place it that way, now you're talking exactly what Richard Davidson is talking about when he talks about neuroplasticity. And actually, there's a couple papers that came out recently that are kind of controversial because there's a couple theories right now where they're talking about the ethics of neuroplasticity. And that neuroplasticity, if that's not even an ethical endeavor, then you're getting it wrong also. So that's very, it's always, you know, I, as you know me, some of you know me well, I'm always very happy when the early Buddhist stuff and the neuroscientist shit lines up. That makes me very, I don't know why, I just love it. Uh, I feel like it gives me, uh, gives me more and more um, ability to kind of, you know, fine tune and polish my soapbox here. Um, so, uh, so, so here, so what does Dharma mean here? Well, you know, it means what we think it means. It's like, duh, it means teachings. Dharma means what the Buddha taught. The Buddha's teachings are often talked about as the Dharma. What is the Dharma? Well, the Dharma is what the Buddha taught. So if we look at the fourth foundation of mindfulness and we want to go back to the bigger list, we can say, well, the Buddha said you need to be mindful of the teachings, So uh, if you look in the early, one of the earliest formulations, and I used to see this a lot, and it, it kind of made the hair on my back stand up. There's one sutta when the Buddha talks about mindfulness that comes from the Sutta Nipata, which is a really, the Sutta Nipata is one of the, and the Dhammapada are the oldest, oldest versions. They're the oldest sort of chapters in the canon. And a lot of people say the older ones are more likely to be accurate, which makes sense. But they would say mindfulness, you know, clearly, visible, ardent. They'd use all these, you know, kind of words. And then they would say, to remember that which has been said and done long ago. And I used to, I'm like, what is that? That sounds sort of poetic. To be mindful of that which has been said and done long ago. Which to me sounds like the Buddha doing what he does a lot is sneaking in these little phrases for people like us, knowing he's gonna we're gonna get this shit three thousand years later. What well what was said and done long ago? Well, the Four Noble Truths were the first teaching. There's lots of stuff that was said and done long ago. So on some level, mind, the fourth foundation of mindfulness is to be mindful and to live a life where you're being in your thoughts and your behaviors and your, everything is being informed by some kind of sense of dharma, some sense of a teaching, something to learn. And that's another way that the word, the word sati gets translated. No one uses this translation except for a few Buddhist scholars, but it's really in there and it's learning. Part of sati, part of mindfulness is what are you learning? Are you learning about cause and effect? Are you learning that every time I do this, every time I do or say this thing, I have a negative consequence or a negative outcome? Maybe I shouldn't do that, do or say that thing anymore. Maybe if I didn't do or say that thing, I'd have a different experience. 
You know, he's always trying to get us to pay attention to cause and effect. You know, every time I let my mind go down this road, I always end up feeling like shit. Maybe next time my mind starts going down that road, maybe I should stop it and go down a different road. Right, so it's really trying to get us to be considerate and to be thoughtful and to be aware of our subjective experience. And if you go with the bigger ones, it's these teachings, right? He's saying, he's saying, okay, in the fourth foundation, you are in the, you're, you're, you're just a bundle, you're just a pile of experience experiencing itself. You have feelings, you have perceptions, you have dispositions, you need to embrace that. You actually need to embrace your subjective experience as being whoever it is that you are living in this world. You need to be honest about that. You need to overcome these hindrances. You need to cultivate these awakening factors, or you need to develop these awakening factors, um, experience them, and then you need to cultivate this path. So every, that's everything right there. I mean, there's nothing, nothing that's not there. So I think that when we, um, if you've been, as I have, and I'm sure some of you have who have studied this stuff have found the fourth foundation of mindfulness to be very confusing, and if you, if you talk to, and I've talked to many Buddhist teachers about it, and I've never gotten a good answer. Me and Noah Levine used to argue about this all the time because he actually called it um, mindfulness of the truth. And I was like, the truth? I was like, well, that's just troublemaking right there. And so, you know, there's been people called the Dharma, they can, some people call it the truth, some people call it categories of experience, frames of experience. But for me, actually, now at this point, it's almost, I'm almost embarrassed to say, it's mindfulness of the teachings. That's what, you know, that, that's what, if we think of the Dharma as the Buddhist teachings, why are we trying to come up with some clumsy word to define what they're talking about in the fourth foundation, which is kind of what everybody does? And so do we, do we um, so, and then all the other three are included. So I find that when we start to practice this way, um, which we'll do right now, we can talk about this some more. This is one of my, I'm so happy to be in this place with it too, because I've been struggling with this. And, and a lot of times on, t on, on, on retreats, me and Cheryl Sleen used to talk about this all the time. We would never do a talk in the fourth foundation of mindfulness because both of us would be like, you know, I'm not actually sure what it is. I don't feel comfortable doing a talk on the fourth foundation with people who've been sitting silently with themselves for five days. We, 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 you know, and, you, and, if there's, and if you look in Dharma, people, there's not a lot of them out there. I think people have been apprehensive for maybe good reason. But me and Cheryl would always be like, we'd always be talking about what we we're going to teach for the retreat. And we, me and Cheryl are nerd fest city. So we stay up, of course, every single night on retreat, way too late, talking about this stuff till we can't take it anymore. And... Um, We've never given a talk on the fourth foundation because neither of us felt comfortable doing so. Um, so what we're going to do in here now, we're going to do a practice where we're going to actually, uh, which I think is a great practice, uh, we're going to go for developing the awakening factor of mindfulness. So the question becomes, am I aware right now? And then if we lose our awareness, if we lose our mindfulness, probably what's going to happen is you'll slide into a hindrance. And then you recognize what that hindrance is and you come back to mindfulness. That sounds easy, right? But that's really all four great efforts. That, that, that's, that's the whole thing. So I think when you see how this works, you might get a better sense of it and then we can talk about it afterwards. So you can begin by finding a way to sit that feels upright, comfortable. 
We'll start and end with the bell. All right, simply beginning by allowing your body to rest, finding a comfortable posture to hold your body. And we'll just slowly move through the first three foundations of mindfulness. So just being aware of the body, pouring awareness down into the body. Connecting and sustaining with the in-breath. Connecting and sustaining with the out-breath. And then just being aware of the five sensory experiences, even though there might not be a lot of information there, but they're still there. There's taste and smell, sound, Sight. Sensation. So forth. And then how you can be mindful of a feeling tone, whether the experience is pleasant or unpleasant or neither. And what's going on in the mental state, if the mind is at ease and present, or if you feel distracted, aversive. And then just to consider, is mindfulness present in the mind right now? Am I aware right now? Am I aware? And to not be caught up or concerned about what it is that you're aware of, but just is mindfulness in my mind right now? 
Am I present? And if not, if I'm distracted, just noticing if I'm wanting something to happen, wanting something to go away. And when you recognize that mindfulness is present, I'm here, I'm present, just rest there. The abiding in mindfulness is the attaining of it at the same time, so there's nothing more to do except for to maintain that quality of mind. That's it. So we see we slip out of mindfulness and we become caught up in some kind of low-grade or even intense reactivity. We recognize that we come back, we develop, we reset ourselves back to mindfulness. Rest, maintain. And so simply put, there's nothing to do with or for the mindfulness except to cultivate it by continuing to maintain its presence. So here in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, we're just looking to see if we are distracted or aversive or attached to some concepts, plans, ideas, so forth. Are we hindered in this moment or are we awake? And this experience of mindfulness as an awakening factor is nothing profound 
It's just a natural state of presence and ease that we can develop, maintain, and cultivate for ourselves one moment at a time. In here, we are developing right concentration by focusing in a specific way. We're developing right effort and right mindfulness. So if you can, to feel some gratitude for the fact that you're simply doing what needs to be done. And practicing this together on our own for the last five minutes in silence.
All right, thank you for your practice this morning. I'm happy to hear what's on your mind. Let me click this thing off.